Philippians, we're continuing our study in Philippians, and again, you know, we're um, not necessarily going every verse, but kind of are, and uh, just looking to see what the Holy Ghost would show us in, in this book as we, we travel through it together. And uh, I want to pick up today in Philippians 2, verse 25, and um, I just want to go here first. I want to tell you this, that the theme today that we're going to talk about is confidence. How many, you know, could use some confidence? How many want to have confidence, you know, uh, as we go through life and whatever we're doing, you know? And what's really important is, is we know where we get that confidence, you know? You know, and, and uh, but let me, let me just start here in Philippians 2. It says, Paul says, yet I uh, considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, but your messenger and one who ministered to my need. I'm just going to stop with that for now and say this. This is what I wanted to say. How many know who Epaphroditus is? Have you ever heard of him? Is anybody here named Epaphroditus or thinking of naming your kids Epaphroditus? You know, he's one of the, le you'd say, maybe lesser known people in Scripture. You know, in this last portion of chapter 2, Paul mentions Timothy, who is a little more well-known, uh, and, but he mentions Epaphroditus, and he was a messenger that was sent by the church at Philippians to Paul to minister to his needs, to bring him, you know, uh, offerings. And Paul was sending him back with, with messages. I guess that was the uh, modern-day Internet uh, communication of that day. But, but, you know, what I was thinking about as I was reading this is that how many lesser-known people there are in the body of Christ— and how that every part is important. And, and maybe your name isn't, you know, in the bulletin or, or in the announcements today. You know, maybe your name isn't Mr. Tifton or whatever, you know, the, the play is for Christmas. But I'm telling you what, your part matters. Your part matters. I mean, you know, most of us here today didn't even know who Epaphroditus was. But Paul thought he was so valuable that he mentions him here in this letter that he writes to the Philippians to just give him credit for his part in the body of Christ. And, and God knows your part. I think some of the most spiritual people when we get to heaven... Some of the people that are going to stand out to us as we, you know, walk the streets of gold, you know, can you imagine the, the initial shock we're in? Like, whoa, you know, talk about going to Disney World. Whoa, we're in heaven. Ah, Jesus. Ah. And, you know, but I think that people that are going to stand out to us are people that we probably never even heard of here on the earth. Because they're the real generals in the body of Christ. I've heard stories of some people uh, that I would consider generals meeting up with, with these, these, these old, this, in this case was an older woman who nobody had heard of but was so in tune with God because they were just a prayer warrior. And they were like, they, 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 they talked about it like they said, wow, we trembled just being around them because this person knew God so well. So it isn't about having a big name in the world, but it's about having 
a big name in heaven. It's about doing our part. It's about doing what God's called us to do. And, and that's what really counts. You know, it goes on. I'm not going to read all this, but, you know, Epaphroditus was sick almost unto death. And Paul elaborates on it. And what Epaphroditus had done is he'd worked himself to the point of, of sickness. Do you know you can do that in, in this world? You know, your bodies, you know, Paul said this. He said, uh, my outward man, how do, I forget how it goes now. It goes, my inward new man is renewed day by day, but my outward man is perishing. You know, this body... Thank God it's also being energized by the life of God that's in me, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. But it is an earthly body. And Paul talks about Epaphroditus in this last portion of chapter 2, how that he was actually sick. And he says that he was actually sick for the gospel's sake. How does that work, you know? Well, you don't, you know, you're not magnifying the gospel by being sick. But what he meant was this, is that Epaphroditus, he worked himself beyond the point that he should have. Can you do that for God? You can do that for God. You know, it isn't necessarily uh, the right thing to do to just burn yourself out. Or to be the, the you know, the, the expression is that they burn the candle on both ends. What does that mean? It means, you know, you get a candle that's meant to burn on one end. But if you burn it on both ends, that means it burns twice as quick. God isn't expecting you to burn out for him. He's expecting you to burn for him. Burning ones, burning ones, you know, that means you're lit, means that your flame can be seen. And, and thank God, Epaphroditus, he recovered. I've been in meetings with people that I respect. I've been in meetings with, with Kenneth Hagin, and he'd be laying hands on the sick. I remember a particular camp meeting I was at. That's what we used to call the meeting we, we, we would have in... Uh, in July every year down in, in at Rama and and um, we'd have it in the big arena in town it'd be like going to Excel Center or something and, and we'd pack that place out every day and and uh, I remember brother Hagen was one night just laying hands on the sick and wild things are happening people were getting healed you know people got out of wheelchairs and things like that and he, he just all of a sudden he stopped he said he called up somebody else he says I want you to finish praying he says, because I'm not going to push myself too far. Now, I'm sitting there taking note. I'm thinking, hmm, look at that. He knew his limitation. You know, here he is. The arena is full. You know, I don't know how many people are in that place, but it's full. And, and right in the middle of it all, he says, you know, I'm going to sit down and let, let you take over. He laid hands on somebody, put his hands on their hands, and they went and finished praying for people. I'm telling you this, don't burn out in the ministry. All right, turn over to chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 12, talking about confidence, where we get our confidence. Paul said this in, in 3.12. He says, not, not, not that I already have attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of for me, of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, 
when Paul wrote these verses to the Philippians, I don't think he sat down and said, you know, in the years to come, there's going to be preachers all over the world that are going to be looking for a scripture to use on New Year's Day. And I think I'll just write this one in here. Now, you know what? I've used this scripture on New Year's Day, first Sunday of the, month, of the year, and it works. It's a good one to use. But he wasn't just saying it for that. He was saying that this is, this is a lifestyle that I've got. This is, this is my mindset. This is my heart. He said, I'm not holding on to the past. I hold that lightly. I press forward. As Christians, as people in Christed, we should always move forward. And in line with what I'm talking about today, not have confidence in our past. Not have confidence in what happened yesterday. You know, there's so many things that people have that, that, that you could say give them confidence in this world. And none of, none of these things I'm saying are necessarily bad, you know, but, but people have confidence in their education, in their degrees. And thank God for education. I am not up here today telling you that you shouldn't get education. You should. You should develop your mind. I'll say this, that even if you've gotten a degree, you should not quit learning, okay? Don't quit learning no matter how old you are, no matter how smart you are. Continue to learn and continue to grow. But don't let that be what you have confidence in. You know, some people have confidence, you know, in their family, where they've, where they've come from. And I, I, I believe in family. I think family is great, but that is not the source of your confidence. You know, sometimes people have confidence because of their friends. You know, who, if they have the right friends, you know, or if they have the wrong friends, they maybe don't feel quite as good. But, but I'm telling you what, that is not where we get confidence from. Riches, you know. How many have ever fallen into that trap? Money can be a trap, but money isn't what's really bad. It's how we deal with money, how we feel about money, the place that we give money in our lives. But riches, you know, if you have a lot of money, you know, in the bank, whatever you think a lot is, don't let that be your confidence. Confidence doesn't come from riches. It doesn't come from, you know, having the right job. It doesn't come from having the right surroundings, familiar. Sometimes just having familiar surroundings. I like to know where I'm at. You know, I like to look around and see my location. You know, Dane and I went out this week, and we're, we're, in, a, uh, we're in St. Paul. Does anybody ever get baffled in St. Paul? I, do I always say this. It does. It's, it's, I've been lost in St. Paul so many times because the streets aren't in order. But anyway, Governor Ventura told us about that one time. He had a, a theory that it was, uh, he said it was drunken Irishmen that designed the city. But, but, you know, you can believe that or not, I don't know. But anyway, we were there, so I, I was going to go out on a little venture while we were there. And I, I took and I, I looked at my map before I went because I wanted to know my surroundings. But I'm telling you what, just knowing your surroundings is not what gives you confidence. All right. Good looks, you know, thank God for good looks. Some of you that have it, you know, uh, <laughs> that is not the source of your confidence. Good breath. If you have good breath, 
that's good, but that is not the source of your confidence. If you don't have good breath, take a breath mint, okay? And still have confidence, but don't have confidence because you took a breath mint, okay? All these things are good. I'm not knocking any of them. But as good as they are, have confidence in God. Paul, uh, I'm going to jump back into Philippians 3 in, in verse 1. It says, and that, that's about it, friends. This is, well, I think I'm reading out a message, message Bible. It says, that's about it, friends. Be glad in God. I don't mind repeating what I've written in earlier letters, and I hope you don't mind hearing it again. Better safe than sorry, so here goes. Isn't that, I like that, you know? Steer clear of the barking dogs. Those religious busybodies all bark and no bite. I might have used the Message Bible just because of that one line. <laughs> Stay clear of the barking dogs, those religious busybodies that are all bark and no bite. Huh. Anyway, no names are mentioned. And, and they're all, in, all they're interested in is appearances. Knife. <laughs> I didn't bold this for you to read on like Pastor Stephen says. Knife happy circumcisers. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I call them this. You do call them that, Paul, don't you? The real believers... <laughs> The real believers are ones of the Spirit of God that, that leads to work away. The real believers are the ones the Spirit of God leads to work away at this ministry, filling the air with Christ's praise as we do it. We couldn't carry this off by our own efforts, and we know it, even though we can list what many might think are impressive credentials. Here he goes. He goes, you know my pedigree. I didn't even know I, we, we have pedigree. I thought it was like dogs had pedigrees. But anyway, um, you know my pedigree, a legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin, a strict and devout adherent to, to God's law, a fiery defender of the purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting the church, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book. The very credentials these people are waving around as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Well, it's because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master. Firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung says, I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. I give up all that inferior stuff. This is so good, it's just readable. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering, go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it. 
I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made, but I'm well on my way reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. I by, no, by no means do I count myself an expert in all this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us, beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. Let me just finish it here. So let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us, if any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. So, you know, you see the context of the verse that I started with here in Philippians 3 <clears throat> of leaving the past behind. All Paul's talking about is, is I don't take, I don't take, uh, I don't get my confidence from anything in my past. The only thing I get confidence in is Jesus. He's the one I have my eyes set on. I have my, my, my gaze is fixed on him. You know, as I, I think about what we're talking about today, this, this whole thing with confidence, it's about mind shifts. And, and, you know, really it's not something that you just get once and for all, I don't think. I think it's something you do daily. I think it's something that you take and you, 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 you center yourself and you say, all right, I'm not going to look at the wrong things today. I'm not going to look at the past. I'm not going to look at all the things that I've achieved. I, I, I. I'm going to look at Jesus. I'm going to fix my eyes on him. I love that we take communion, you know, at least once a month. Because it's a time of just setting it all aside and saying, hey, this is where I'm putting my eyes. I'm putting them on him. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, just got a couple things I'm going to share this morning. This is really simple. Where do we get our confidence from? Tell you what, we're all on the same place, same page this morning. No matter where you come from, no matter what your name is, no matter how long you've been saved, you know, or how many times you've come to church, I'm telling you what, all that matters is looking to Jesus. 1 Timothy 6, 17, Paul again, he addresses this. He says, command those who are rich... In this present age, not to be haughty or trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So, you know, money is just a thing. You know, I mentioned it before that we can put our, 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 our hope in. We can, put our, we can draw confidence from. We can feel better because, you know, we, had a, we have a good financial state. But Paul says, listen, guys. He is not saying that you shouldn't have money. He's not saying that money is evil. The evil creeps in when we allow our confidence to be in money instead of God. Okay? You know, another place Paul said, I think it's even in Philippians, he says, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. He said, I've been rich and I've been poor. But he says, no matter what, I'm looking at Jesus. You know, there's a poverty test and there's a, there's a riches test. Can you trust God when you don't have anything? You got a nickel in your pocket. Can you trust God? Can you trust God if you got a million dollars in the bank? I'm waiting on that million dollars in the bank test, but I know it's coming, okay? The thing is, is we want to be people that we're not even changed no matter what our state is. We're not changed if we have a million or if we have a nickel. Our trust is in him. It doesn't matter. Um, I got a different version here. It's the Passion Translation. He says, to all, uh, to all the rich of this world, 
I command you to not be wrapped in thoughts of pride over your prosperity or rely on your wealth. For your riches are unreliable and nothing compared to the living God. Trust instead in the one who has lavished upon us all good things, fulfilling our every need. Money in the bank is good, but it's false security. Jesus is the true security. Look over into Judges chapter 6. Really, it's, it's like Judges 6, 7, and 8, and I'm not going to read it all. But I'm just going to tell you a story. You know, these stories in the Old Testament are incredible. And they're, they're, they take on a whole new meaning when you look at them through New Testament eyes. And you look at them and you say, all right, what is the message here that I am supposed to take away? What can I apply to my life from what I'm seeing this person go through? Isn't history amazing how you can look at it and learn from it? And, you know, in the New Testament, I believe it's in Hebrews, it says that these things are written for examples for us. How to live. You know, you read through the Old Testament, when you again look through it with New Testament eyes, you can find Jesus in every book of the Bible. You know, he shows up everywhere because the whole thing is pointing to him and, and what he's going to do for mankind. But in Judges 6.12, I'll read this one verse and then I'll tell you the story. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, and who he appeared to is this guy named Gideon, and he said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and spoke this, see, Gideon and all of his people were living an oppressed life. There was this people group called the Midianites, and, and, and they were oppressing the, these, uh, the Israelites. And, and it was so bad that the Israelites were living in caves, okay? So I guess they were cavemen, okay? They're living in caves, and it says that even when they'd go plant crops to try to better themselves, the Midianites would come in, and, and they'd take their crops, and they'd destroy them. And so they were living this way for like seven years, okay? That's a bummer. Wouldn't that be a bummer? That's, that's like bully stuff. It's like, it's like grade school never ended, you know? It just kept right on going, and these, these bullies were just taking advantage here and, 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 and whooping them. And so at this point where, where Gideon and all his people are living in caves and, and trying to farm, you know, and trying to live on the sly and trying to, to provide for themselves, this angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and calls him a mighty man of valor. I love that, that, that God sees things in us. He sees things in you and I before we could ever see them. I love that God doesn't judge us by our present circumstances, but he sees us for what we can be in the future. Don't you love that? I want to be like that. I want to be able to look at people and not judge them for where they're at, but see where they're going. To see the potential in them. And, you know, we should make that a practice as we deal with people in life, that we're not just holding people in some little cage, you know, but, but allowing them to break free and be who God's created them to be. 
So God called Gideon a mighty man of valor before he ever did anything mighty or anything valiant. He called him that when he was living in a cave, and, 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 and um, God saw that he had him the power, the ability to be used to deliver his people from the oppressors. Um, so anyway, Gideon a lot of times is known as the story where, where he throws out a fleece. So this angel, the Lord, tells Gideon this. He says, I'm going to use you to deliver your people. And, and Gideon wasn't totally sure of himself. And I guess in some ways that can be a good thing. He wasn't sure of his might, but he, he, was, he was confident in God. And he says, well, if you've called me, God, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to throw this fleece on the ground, a piece of material. And he said, one time he said, you know, I, I want to wake up in the morning and there be dew all around it and the cloth be dry. I guess that's hard to do. And, and that happened, and that wasn't enough. So the next day, he said the opposite thing. He says, today I want to wake up and, and, and let the cloth be all wet and the ground be dry. And God's like, okay. So he does it. So Gideon gets some confidence that God has called him. So what he does is he begins to assemble an army, you know, because that's how he sees it. He, he gets all the people he can. He gets them together, and he gets thousands of people together. And God takes a look at the army that Gideon's gotten together, and he says, he says, this is great, Gideon. I'm glad you're going forward in my plan, but there's one thing. you got too many people. And, and you know, isn't that the way it is? Don't we want to trust in, in how many we can get? Isn't it like if, if we've got a prayer need or something, sometimes my mentality can be, boy, if I could get everybody to pray. The truth is you don't need everybody to pray on everything, but if you could get one other person to pray with you, if you can just pray, God can hear your voice, but you get another person to stand with you that really believes with you, I'm telling you what, you, there's, not, there's no limits. In fact, sometimes it's even better. But God looked at Gideon's arm and he says, you've got too many. And, and I wrote it down. God, God uh, got rid of, uh, the first thing he did is got rid of the fearful. And when, when, when he, what he basically did is he says, if anybody's afraid, you can go home. <laughs> you know how many people left? 22,000 people left. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the thoughts of Gideon? You know, here he's probably a little confident, a little proud. He's gotten this massive army together. He's probably thinking, wow, God is really using me now. Look at that. I know he called me. You know, the fleece was dry, then it was wet, and now he's called me. And look at the people I've gathered. God says, too many. Anybody fearful, let them go home. 22,000. So uh, they, they left him with 10,000 people. Then he tells them to go down to the river. God says to him, he says, you still got too many people. You know, I mean, can you think of a time when you've ever argued with God? I would imagine Gideon is probably arguing with God over this one. Too many people. And, and, but he takes them, he says, take them down to the river and, and, and let's watch how they drink. And, and so the people that, that lapped like dogs, you know, and there was people that, that just cupped the water and, 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 and drank it that way. And the ones that lapped like dogs, he sent home. And apparently, I don't know why, but, but uh, apparently God watches how we drink. And, and, and uh, it made a difference. So this time, the army is reduced to 300 people, 300 men. And, and the way God fought this battle is, is, is he had Gideon take his men, and, and, and God 
Again, 300, he says, that's good enough. You can do that. He divided them into three groups, gave them each a trumpet and a torch that was in a clay pot. And he says, at my signal, he says, we'll blow the trumpet and break the pot so that the torches will be there. And, and when he did that, I tell you what, the, the enemy was, was, was fearful. They ran, they scattered, and it brought deliverance to all the people of Israel. Isn't that amazing how God does this, how he fought this battle? And, 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 and again, what am I talking about today? I'm talking about where are we getting our confidence? Our confidence is always got to be in God. I'm just going to wrap it up this morning. In Philippians again, I'm going to read this. And then I'm going to ask you some questions. But in Philippians 3.12, again, it says this. Not that I've already attained, I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold on that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of for me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, you know, as we go through the week, if we go through life, you know, ask ourselves, where are we drawing confidence from? Where, where am I getting it today? I mean, again, in no way am I, is it wrong to have these external things that, that are good in life. But even with those, we need to look to God. Uh, another thing to ask is, are there areas that I need to develop my trust level with God? You know, as a Christian, we're always developing. We're always learning. We're always, don't think you've attained all there is. God wants to take us continually higher and higher and higher. One place the Apostle Paul was writing, and he was talking about life with God, and he says it goes from one glory to the next glory. You know? All that means is, is, is glory, in my mind, is like the presence of God. It's like being aware of his presence and walking with him. And Paul says it's like we get to one place, but it's, it's like don't camp out there because he's going to take you higher. And the third question I'd ask is this. If someone gave me a million dollars today, would it affect my need to trust God in life? So where are we getting our confidence? Is it in him or is it in things? It's simple. We just need to choose that we're going to put our eyes on him. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I hope this message was a blessing to you. Yeah, hey, we just wanted to give you the opportunity as well to partner up and plug in to the church uh, by giving. So if you would like to be a part of that and help make this all possible, you can do so by going to wearelovechurch.com slash give. You can also plug in, stay in the loop with what's going on at the church via our Instagram and Facebook platforms. So love y'all. God bless you.